You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Today we're going to look at the book of James. James 1, 25. Now, I don't have anything on your notes. I did that on purpose because I want you to listen to me. Is that okay? And if you want to write anything down at all, go ahead and do that. But I'll just, just do that. So the text is James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. It is important that we understand how God's word applies to life. You may know a lot about the Bible and may be good at expositing or interpreting scriptures. We can be very good at that. We can even carry the word of God around in our hearts. But if you do nothing with it, then all of that knowledge that you have gained is irrelevant. They did not make a bit of difference in your life. They have informed you, but they really have done nothing to transform you. James 1, 25 says, Do not merely listen to the word of God, so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and he immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If you go to a store today, Home Depot, Lowe's, a toy store, even Ralph's, a grocery store, and buy a product or a food item, you are probably going to find a warning or a caution note on the side of the package. And those caution labels can be useful, but sometimes if you look hard enough, you can find these warning labels to be utterly ridiculous. For example, on the side of a baby stroller box, there's a warning that says, remove child before folding. <laughs> on a cardboard sun shield that you put on the windshield to protect it from the sun, there was a warning that says, don't drive with sunshield in place, duh. <laughs> On a toilet bowl cleaning brush, not for oral use. <laughs> On a Bic lighter, light this away from your face. On a package of a rain gauge where you, you know, gauge the rainfall amounts of rainfall and so on and so forth, it says suitable for outdoor use. On a 500-piece jigsaw puzzle, <laughs> some assembly required. Yeah, right. What about, about this one? From a manual of a chainsaw, do not attempt to stop the blade with your hand. 
And finally, on the package of, a little, of little juggling balls, this product contains small granules under three millimeters, not suitable for children under the age of 14 in Europe or eight years in the US. Listen up, there's proof positive that our kids this side of the ocean are able to digest three millimeter granules a lot easier than the children in Europe. How's that? Now the reason why these labels exist is because manufacturers are fearful that someone would open their product and use it in a way which was not intended to be used. And that could lead to catastrophic problems and most likely a lawsuit along the way. So they decided they needed to clarify with a warning label. Our passage today in James chapter 1 is a warning label. He's writing to inform believers that how the word of God is intended to be used. He obviously knows enough about us to realize that we all have this tendency to mishandle the word of God which can lead to very, very dangerous consequences. And James highlights two of those consequences in this passage. He begins with, do not merely listen to the word. Don't merely be a hearer of God's word. Now, we have to remember that James is writing this particular passage to a predominantly oral culture. People would receive the word of God by coming and listening to other people. And many of the people in that day did not read. None of them had the Bible of their own. So they would receive the word by listening to it. But if James were writing to today's audience, he would probably broaden his command and say to us, do not merely be listeners or readers of the word. Do not merely be just students of the word. Do not merely podcast the word. Do not merely download the word. Don't simply tweet or Facebook the word. And don't simply look at the word online or on TBN or Daystar. It is not that James was against listening and reading and studying and discussing and memorizing and podcasting and twitting because in order for the Bible to get into us, we must get into the Bible. And the reason why merely listening to the word of God can be dangerous is that listening all by itself can be self-deceiving. James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The word deceive here means to cheat or to falsely reason. It means to misunderstand. And when we simply listen to the word, when we receive the word of God into our lives and stops there, we cheat ourselves. The word of God can warm your heart and without even moving your soul, folks. I mean, the Word of God can inform you without transforming your life. It can educate the sinner without eradicating the sin in that person's life. It has the potential to make a person theologically smart, biblically informed, apologetically great, and yet while that person continues to grow in his or her mind, he or she can be left immature uninvolved and unmoved and unchanged, this person can have a false sense that they have gone farther in their spiritual life and they are, that they're walking with God when in, in fact they are not. 
The Apostle Paul points out this problem in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, he says that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge by itself, receiving information into your life, can make you smarter, right? And make you sharper and even quicker on your feet. And, you can, and can give you the right words to say. And it, yet, and yet it gives you this inflated, exaggerated picture of spiritual maturity. Because one can have a big head and a strong mind and really have all the answers from scriptures. Yet inside there is nothing but puffed air. There's no substance, no maturity, no reality inside of them. Simply reading, coming here, and listening to the word of God taught every time the doors of this church opens. Attending a life group, getting involved in a discipleship program or a discipleship class, opening your Bible and reading a few passages from Scripture can really be quite self-deceiving if it gets you the feeling that you are growing when in fact you're not developing at all. You there? Second of all, along with the problem of being self-deceiving, we have to realize that listening by itself does not lead to life change. Listening alone does not necessarily lead to the transformation of a life. A roadmap can tell me how to get where I want to go, right? But that road map cannot take me there, can it? In the same way, the Bible is powerful, but not magical. Having head knowledge about the words on the page of this Bible, of this book, does not bring about life change. My life, your life will change when I read the map and I follow the directions of the map to get me from here to there. James uses the illustration of a fellow who goes and looks in the mirror. Now, mirrors were designed to reveal imperfections or perfections for that matter. They were designed to reveal what needed to be changed on an individual. But the mirror does not have the power to change the looker, the one looking in the mirror, does it? The mirror informs the looker, and the looker then has the power to do and deal with the change. To wash their face, to comb their hair, mascara on, whatever else powder on you, take care of something that is wrong with them. It does not matter if that person looks in the mirror 10,000 times in a hundred mirrors of varying shapes and sizes, the person will remain unchanged unless they do something with what they are seeing, what they have seen. In the same way, if a person looks into the word of God and does nothing, they can end up with a self-deceived, inflated, overblown, exaggerated picture of their own spirituality, and they can miss the life change that God intends for them. There's a passage in Ezekiel chapter 33. 
And this passage is complementary passage to our text in James that brings these pieces together. And this is what God says to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, as for you, son of man, your countrymen are talking about you by the walls and the doors of their houses, and they're saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. Ezekiel, my people come to you as they usually do, and they sit before you and listen to your words, but they don't put them into practice. And with their mouths, they express devotion. Their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them, you're nothing more than the one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. See the connection between these two passages? God says to Ezekiel, people are coming to your worship service. They're listening to your sermons and taking notes. They're journaling. And after the service, they gather around the fellowship hall, drinking coffee and talking about the service, right? In the parking lot, they compliment you, they applaud you, and they talk about what an amazing preacher you are. In fact, they download every podcast from you. They have them on their iPods, iPads, and smartphones, and they listen to them while on the run. Ezekiel, they purchase your CDs and your DVDs, and they have sent them to their friends. But here's the problem. While they are devoted to your teachings, they are still greedy for unjust gain. Their lives remain unchanged. Your powerful preaching and teaching, your expository preaching, has not done nor made any difference in the way they live. They leave the Sabbath services and don't look any different than they did when they came in. You know, I think this is a potential problem for any of us here today, including myself. We can come to service, receive a message, and walk away going, I just loved our worship today. Whoa, that was so powerful. And the pastor, man, this guy, isn't he something else? He was just awesome. I just love how he tells stories, man, and how he clarifies the scriptures, how he presents it to us. Man, that is so beautiful. I love, I love when he just nails the message down. I love it when the word of God is open to us. This, this guy is so good. But then we walk away and our lives are unmoved because information does not automatically lead to transformation. We must put the word of God into practice. We have to apply the word of God in our daily living, at our home, at job, relationships, play, school, in the marketplace, leisure, walk, finances, the whole nine yards. Bruce Wilkinson says, the word of God may stir your mind and warm your heart and transform your life. But only as you combine doctrine and duty, belief and behavior. 
because the two goes hand in hand. And for the word of God to be effective in our lives, instead of making us more informed, we have to apply it. We have to do what it says. And James says, do not merely be hearers or listeners to the word of God and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In fact, if you look at just that small section of scripture, you will notice the number of times the word do, doing, or done appears in that passage. Because that is the focus of this passage. James says we must be doers of the word of God to really change our lives. Now, look, as we talk about the importance of application and, and, and applying scripture into our lives, I want to leave you with three words to think about this next, the next time you open your Bible. The first word is study. We need to study the Bible. We need to slice time from our busy schedule and study the Word of God. Now, study is different from just reading, all right? Study is much, much more focused. In fact, this is how James describes the one who does not merely listen to the Word of God, but follows it. He says, but the man looks intently into the perfect law. Now, the word intently there means literally to stoop down. It gives you a picture of a scientist, an archaeologist, a geologist who sees something special in the jungle or in the ground. And so what he does is he moves down to get a closer look and study that and scrutinize it, examine it closely. That is the image that James is giving here. It's not just a passing kind of glance, not a casual observance, not looking over your shoulder and saying, hmm, that's interesting now. It is digging down deep, get a little deeper. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active and it is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit to both joints and marrow and judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the Bible is. It is a surgical tool. Let me repeat, it's a surgical tool by which our lives are undone and then redone. Now, with that, with that picture in mind, surgical tool, surgery does not happen very effectively on the metro rail or during your morning commute on the 405 freeway or 5 or 110 or when you are going at a breakneck speed, driving to work or going somewhere to your appointment. Surgery does not take place on the fly. Rather, surgery requires focus, it requires attention, it requires time, it requires deliberation. And for the word of God to slice and penetrate and divide and then surgically cut into my life as to make a real difference, I've got to study it I've got to stoop down and give it time. I've got to read the Bible so that the Bible begins to read me. 
I got to study the Bible so that the Bible studies me. And I got to mark the Bible so that the Bible marks me. That is a discipline of the spiritual life. Are you there? Boy. Is it getting to you? Say, ouch. Oh, good. Very good. Study it now. Stay at it. So study it. Stay at it. Linger with God's word. Verse 25. But the man who looks, watch this, intently into the perfect law, that gives freedom and continues to do this. Now that this is the continual looking intently into the perfect law. I think James is saying it is one thing to study the Bible. It is another thing to stay with your study. One of the men that I admire immensely is Dr. Howard Hendricks. He's an incredible Bible teacher. In one of his books, he talks about some substitutions for application that we are tempted to make as believers. And here are the four substitutions that Dr. Hendricks highlights. Let me just name four of them. First of all, he says that we can substitute interpretation for application. Now, this is what he means. We can study a passage, and as we study that passage, suddenly the light comes on and we go, whoa, I get it. I get the meaning of this passage, of this parable. We say, wow, I just love this passage. And you walk away amazed at this incredible new information that you just got. And that is as far as it goes. You're so amazed at the new revelation and understanding of your life that you just walked away feeling, oh, you're so filled. We all do this. And we substitute the information that we have received for the application. We think we have reached the point of application, but we have not. We've just been informed. Second of all, he says, we substitute rationalization for repentance. What that means is we read a passage, we have a sense of that it is changing us and then change, charging us to do something, right? It is pushing us forward in our life. But we begin to rationalize and say, you know what? I really appreciate this text. Hmm, it is really good stuff. And God is really good. But you know, you know, God, my life doesn't really fit squarely with this passage. My life is just a little bit different. And while I can appreciate how this passage will ordinarily apply to people that I know of, like, say, my wife or my friend or someone else in the church, it's not exactly precise for me. So we end up stopping short of true repentance that God requires of us because we think it was not for us. It is for someone else. This happens all the time when I was pastor of the church over in Norwalk and pastoring for many, many years. A person comes to me after the service, right? Excited, pastor, man, that was such a powerful sermon today, boy. You just nailed it. Oh, I wish so-and-so was here today to hear it. <laughs> because that was really perfect for him or for her. 
And I would say to that person occasionally, did it ever occur to you that that message was for you? Third of all, we can substitute an, e an emotional experience for a volitional decision. This is the similar to the first one. This is when you experience an emotional reaction to what you have read in Scripture. Your heart is warm and you feel overwhelmed by God's presence, man, and greatness. But once you step away from the Word, your life has not changed. You have not made a conscious decision to alter your behavior in your walk with God. You remember these times as powerful encounters with God, right? But you look back and realize that they were actually incomplete to bring about the life change that God was looking for in your life. And lastly, when we substitute what we call superficial obedience for substantive life change. Now, this one really gets me. We look at a passage and it encouraged me to go the full distance in our lives, right? But we end up merely dipping our toes in the water. <laughs> there are plenty of times when a passage will speak to us deeply and challenge us in that direction, right? And we are called to go the full distance of the challenge. And so we head in that direction, but we do not necessarily follow it through. We take a step, but we don't want to go the full distance in our hearts. We've done that. I've done it many times. Imagine that you're reading God's word. And you come across a passage that really speaks to you, right? So you're spending too much time at work. And this passage opens you to see that you really need to spend some time with your wife and your family. And so you should invest with your kid, in your kids. And so... See if you can identify with me, with me on this. As you study this passage, you say to yourself, you know, I agree with this passage. I really agree with this. Have you applied it? No, of course not. And what, what, what if in the study you not only agree, but you're convicted by what you're reading so that your heart is grieved and your heart is moved? Have you applied it? No, no, you've got to push a little harder, right? What if you say, you know what? I not only agree with this passage, I am convicted by it, and I'm going to do something about it. Have you applied it yet? No, not yet. You've decided to decide, but you have not done it yet, right? What if you said to yourself, here's what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to take the kids to the zoo, right? Have you applied the passage? No. What if you sit at a family at dinner time and say, yeah, yeah, look, guys, I've got a great idea here. We are going to the zoo this weekend. If you don't want to go to the zoo, just, just go somewhere else. Name the place and we'll go to that place. We'll spend time together, right? I, I've been spending too much time at work and I need to spend time with you guys and so, and so forth. And I feel really badly about it. So it's good. Tomorrow we're going to do something about it, okay? As a family, right? But have you applied the passage? No, of course not. But you are getting there, right? What are you doing? You are staying with it. You see the point? Many times, many times, we can go part, part of the distance 
and feels like application. But we have not applied the scriptures. We need to stay with it and find out how this package works in our lives. And lastly, seek the action. <clears throat> we study God's word. We stay with it. Then we look for the way it is supposed to change our lives. Now listen, the Bible can change your mind. The Bible can change how you feel. But ultimately what God is looking for is for the Bible to change your life. Whenever I open a passage and begin to study it, I'm asking the question, God, how will this change me? How will it adjust my life? How, how will I I'll be different if this passage is true? How will it actually radically change my life? When I'm reading someone's story in the Bible, a biblical story, for example, I would ask and say, hey, would, would my life be different if I, I followed their example? Is there an example in the story that I need to follow? Does this passage highlight a shortcoming in my life? And I need to confess it before the Lord, you know? Is there a sin that I need to confess here? Is there a promise that I need to claim in this passage? Is there a prayer request here or simply an affirmation of who God is? Or is there a condition that I need to meet here for me? Or simply, is there a verse to memorize here? Maybe there's an obstacle, a problem in this passage that God wants me to avoid and, and would help me when obstacles come up in the future and challenge that God wants me to face courageously. Is there something in this passage that I need to do? You understand that? That's what you need to do. Practice application. James says, if anyone considers himself religious and does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, if tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after widows and orphans and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, if I was reading this in my devotional time, I would want to go, okay, God loves orphans and widows. There we go. I'm now informed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Is that enough? No. I'm going to dig down to study the passage. In fact, I'm going to study it in light of the verses before it, where James says, do not merely be hearers of the word, and so deceive yourselves. So, as I study these verses, and pretty soon, this passage begins to percolate a bit in my life, and begins to come up, and I begin to realize that talk is cheap, that real faith finds its way in being kind and compassionate and merciful to those who may never have had the opportunity to even say thank you to you. And as I further study this passage, a couple of things begin to happen. I realize that I can be pretty arrogant sometimes about who I think myself to be before the Lord. In fact, I may not appear to be arrogant before you, but I can be in my thoughts, thinking I have arrived, and that is a sin to confess before the Lord. What would it look like for me to show compassion in a going way? How does, it, how does the Lord want me to show compassion to someone? 
then God then can direct me to particular people whom I need to be generous, kind, and merciful, and loving. This passage is so impactful. I want to apply this to my life every day. Do you see how you can begin to apply scripture to your own personal life? It takes study. It takes staying with it and seeking what particular action God would have that passage mean to your life. Be doers of the word. Amen? Now, before we close, it is so easy for us to separate life from knowledge. We think, well, we're just going to get some information. Rather, let us have a mindset that is going to change how we live. Did you know that in the Middle Eastern mindset, you did not separate what we know from how we live? The Hebrew language is an example of this. One Hebrew word can be translated as both teach and learn. And what is that? Because if you have not learned, then teaching did not take place. So if my life was not changed and affected by what I learned or been taught, then all of that information that I have learned really did not take place. In John 8, 31, 32, Jesus says, you are truly my disciples if you keep obeying my what? My teachings. In other words, Jesus was not going around the countryside teaching and preaching so that his hearers could merely grow in information. Jesus was teaching and preaching in order to affect people's lives, how they live. It will translate into changed lives and changed behaviors. If you keep obeying my teachings, then he says you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. The word translated know is an experiential knowledge. It is not informational knowledge here. It is knowledge that I experience. It is completely different from a Greek mindset of knowledge that affects the head but does not affect the life. Knowledge that separates mind from action. Now listen people. Belief and behavior go hand in hand. Do you remember the mirror in Snow White? The witch would come and say, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? And sometimes the mirror would tell her exactly what she wanted to hear. But there came a point because mirrors do not lie that the mirror told her, no, you're not the fairest. And rather than receiving the truth, watch, the witch walked away furious, missing an opportunity for her life to truly be changed. James' word for us today are a caution. He tells that if you linger in the word of God at any length, like a mirror, it will expose and reveal what a true and not 
what is true and not true in our lives. It will show us who really we are and who we really are not. And at that moment that we see the truth of God's word, you and I have a choice. We can either reject it or we can respond to it. And if we respond and apply the word of God to our lives, not tomorrow but today, in the words of James, we will be blessed. We'll find gladness and delight in the life that God has planned for us. So my prayer for us today is this, that we not merely be hearers of the word and receive the word of God, but that we be doers of God's word and receive all that God has prepared for us. Are you there? Amen. Did you hear what we were talking about here, folks? Huh? Can you say amen to that? Amen. Listen, folks. There's a song that we used to sing, and I, I used to be in a quartet. What you are speaks so loud. I cannot hear what you say. And uh, I tell you, Albert Schweitzer was a musician. You know who he is? A, theolog a theologian, a medical missionary who spent most of his life serving the poor in the remote area of West Africa. He accomplished many great things throughout his life, including winning the Nobel Prize, by the way, one year. When he was well into his 80s, he wrote these words in a letter to his friend Norman Cousins talking about how he approached his career in ministry. And he said, I decided that I would make my life my argument. Let me repeat that. I decided that I would make my life my argument. There are things we could criticize about Schweitzer today. If he wanted, you know, if he wanted to, his theology might have been a little, little off at times. Some of his ideas and some of his methods may have been a little outdated, but his work, his work continues even today. His work speaks for itself. His life was his argument. This should be our goal as well. Let your life, let your walk, not your talk, become the argument. Because the world is not listening to your talk, they're watching your walk. Because what you are speaks so loud, they cannot hear what you say. It is more than words. I adjure each and every one of us to let's, let's strive to make our lives with the Lord's help become the argument. Listen, living a great life is more about what you do than it is about what you say. I'm going to repeat that. Living a great life is more about what you do than it is about what you say. Because talk is cheap. And like my Vietnamese friend, talk is cheap. <laughs> and it is. Our Father, we come to you. You know, we have been exposed to so many wonderful teachings, not only from this church. We hear it on radio, broadcast on television. We read books. 
In fact, we read it from the scriptures ourselves. <laughs> Lord, I pray that we not merely a people that listen, read, or hear the word, but we become people that would be doers of the word. Because the only passage of scripture that we truly believe is that one that we obey. And you're speaking to us today, and I know it hurts. You're surgically today doing something in our lives. You're exposing some areas of our living that, that has been there that, you know, that needs to be redone, reconnected. And I pray that this morning you'll do exactly that. If we have been those in the company of those who are listeners and hearers and come to church and sit every Sunday and listen to Bible studies and what have you, but leave and does not have any kind of an effect in their lives, I pray that today, Jesus, we will make a resolve that says, no, 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 I'm going to do something about what I heard today. I'm going to do something about what I read today from the passage of Scripture. I need to change by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need to make that radical change because transformation is what I need, not information. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Change our hearts, O oh God. Make it ever new. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.